lot of people, since what happened, have a hard time getting out of their bed. Their whole feeling of security and of identity and understanding of what's going on. Very hard time. Because um, um, the whole basis of their existence, it, it seems like it was the, the rug was taken out from under them. And they're, they're glued to the news all day. And they um, have, they're not able to like identify with um, anything that they could hold on to. So let's learn something from this Torah portion about Avraham. Hashem gave him ten tests. Not only did he pass those tests, but Amad Bakulam, he grew from every test that Hashem sent him. This week we read about the passing of Sarah, Avram's wife, and Avram wanted to bury her. So Avram goes to the people of Ches, the Torah says, and they right away say to Avram, you can take anything you want from our um, land to use to bury your wife, no problem. You don't have to pay us anything. Avram was very respected. And Avram said he wants to buy a certain a certain parcel of land that belonged to a man named Ephron. Ephron said, I'll give it to you for free. But Avram said, no, I want to pay for it. The question is, why did Avram want to pay for it if it was free? So one explanation is, is that the uh, people of Ches, they were only offering um, Avram to use the burial spots of their cemeteries for Sarah. But Avram wanted to have a specific, his own, his own chelka, his own area to, to bury his wife. Since it wasn't part of their cemetery, that's why it was cost. Others say that this is a lesson for us in life, that, um, that in order to um, obtain something, you need to invest. And since this was such an important thing, therefore Avram insisted in, in, in paying for it. As we know, when, whenever someone would bring the Rebbe a, a book, they would always pay for it. Like we said, it says in the Zohar that for a safer, for a holy book, you have to pay for it. Holiness costs. That's one explanation. So Avram doesn't just pay for it. He pays an exorbitant amount. We know it's, it, was, it was an exorbitant amount because later on in the Torah, how Yaakov, he buys a very much bigger parcel of land for four shekel. And here... This is for 400 shekel. This is just buying an area at the edge of the field of Ephraim. It's very, very expensive. So Avram pays this, and this the Torah classifies this event or burial as the hardest test. Not just one of the ten tests, but according to some opinions, this was the hardest test. Rabbeinu Yonah says, of all the ten tests that Avram had, this was the final test, and it was the hardest of all of his tests. Now, what's why is this harder than let's say, offering his son as a sacrifice. Why is this considered the hardest test? So, one explanation is, is that um, by the story of the Akedah, when Hashem told him explicitly to offer his son as a sacrifice, so he was speaking to Hashem directly. Hashem told him exactly what to do. But here, it was more like he had to take initiative himself. He had to go on his own. He wasn't telling Zaki what to do. He had to go bury his wife, and he wanted to bury his wife. And therefore, it wasn't something that Hashem told him specifically. It was something that he did on his own. The um, the Talmud says this, Midrash says this, that the Satan himself, the Satan, came to God and said to God, you know, I never, I haven't found anyone in the world like your, like your, like your Avraham. He said, you promised him 
that this land will be his land. And you promised him that Yitzchak will be his, his, his progeny, and, and, and yet the opposite happens when you tell him to offer Yitzchak as a sacrifice. And now, even though you promise him this will be his land, what happens? And if he wants to just bury his wife, just one little part of the land, one little space, he has to pay for it. He has to acquire it. So yet, said the Santa Hashem, Avram doesn't question you. Despite the fact that he had a good reason to question you, that's, uh, that, that, that's, the, um, um, that's, that's the unique challenge over here. It wasn't Hashem telling him what to do. It was Avram on his own trying to figure something out and not being able to rely on Hashem's promise. He had to, and to, he had to um, obtain and arrange the funeral, uh, the, the burial spot for Sarah, Despite Hashem's promise, he had to go and, 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 and pay for it. That's, that's what some say. So, Sarah passes away. How did she pass away? Some say that the, the great challenge was in the way that she passed away. How did she Sarah pass away? It says in the Talmud, the Mizrash says, that the Satan came before Sarah in the image of Yitzchak. He pretended he was Yitzchak. And he tells Sarah exactly what happened. You know, um, Dad was told by God to offer me as a sacrifice, went up to Mount Maria, and he almost sacrificed me, And but at the last moment, God said to bring me down from the mountain. So before he, he can get to the end of the story, before the son finished the story, Sarah's neshama already left her body. She already couldn't, the, the, the intense um, feeling that she had then was so strong, intense grief, intense worry, that her soul left her body. So Avram should have had the question, the Torah says, if you're going to do a mitzvah, you aren't hurt, how come she passed away? And yet Avram doesn't have ask a question. Avram is his pure faith in Hashem. He doesn't, he doesn't question. There's an expression, you don't see greatness in great things. You see greatness in small things. You see the greatness of Avram in the fact that he didn't question Hashem. In his mind, in his thoughts, that's where you see Avram's greatness. But the question though is, how do you do it? What was his, where, where, did get the, where did you get the power from? So Manu says this about about us. The Mendes says that there are, there's something unique about us. What's unique about us? Unlike all creatures, every other creature is one-dimensional, meaning vegetation, animals, um, inanimate things. They're all earthy. They're all, they're all about the earth. They're all physical. Angels, souls, they're all divine. They're all spiritual. They're all holy. They're all pure. Man is the only one who has on the one hand, he has the body, which is inanimate, which is physical. On the other hand, he has a soul, he has a holy, godly being in him. And the reason why Hashem made this marriage in us between the holy neshama and the, and the low body is because God wants us to um, bring a change in the physical world. He wants our soul to come to the world and bring light to the world. And understanding this really is a game changer in, in living life. You, know, you understand a lot more about... Yes, sir? I, I thought this was yeah, yes, that, 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 that definitely fringe benefit, fringe benefit. Um, I heard that um, the Rebbe once was discussing um, Nixon. Nixon um, made the following comment. He said, I don't understand the Israeli, Israeli um, um, prime ministers, Israeli Knesset members. He said, every other head, head of state, I know if he's my friend, I deal with him in one way. If he's my enemy, I deal with him in another way. But Israel, he said, can't figure that out. One side of their mouth, they sound like they're my friend. Another, another day, they sound like they're my enemy. I can't figure them out. So Rebbe said, the reason why Nixon had this question, because Nixon never went to Tanya. And Tanya says there are two souls. But the reason there are two souls is because Hashem wants us 
to make a change, make an impact in the world. Shem wants us to bring light in the darkness. Therefore, he gives us a holy part, soul, a part of God. And he gives us a very physical body in order that we're able to make a very tangible impact in the world. That's the, um, that's the, the reason why Hashem made this marriage. I heard an amazing thing today. I mean, Adin Steinzaltz, Evan Nisol, once was at a Fabrengen. Someone asked him the following question. Who do we mean when we think or we feel or we say the word, the most common word in the English language? What's the most common word in the, word, common word in the English language? The most common word in English, people say it more than any other word? No guess. What's the number one word people say? I. I. I is the most common word. And today he asked them, who do we mean? In Tanya it says we do have these two souls. We have a godly soul, we have an animal soul. We have a godly side, we have a holy side, we have an animal side. Who do we meet indeed when we say I? When you're talking and you say, I said, I feel, who is that I? Who is it? It's a very good question, no? The Rishanzels thought about it. The Rishanzels was amazing. In his imitable, in his very um, original way of responding, he thought for a minute, he answered the following thing. Amazing, amazing, amazing answer. And it explains so much what he said. Uh, it's very relevant today. Today, if you don't know, today is called Little People's Day. Short People's Day. They celebrate short people. And you shouldn't celebrate it, because no such thing as short people, I'll tell you what. Whatever Steinzeltz say. Rabbi Steinzeltz said, a person is like a building. And a building, there are many floors. There's a basement, there's a penthouse. And a person could choose what part of the building he wants to live in. Is that what he's saying? You have a godly side. You have a penthouse part of you. You also have an animalistic part of you. You choose where you want to live. You choose where you, where you want to focus on. For, for example, my example, but says so this is an example, when you daven, which part of you is saying the words of davening? Where is davening coming from? So Chassidus says, the author Rebbe writes, davening is written in the language of the soul, and when you daven, it is your soul that's davening. So when you, in your, as a human being, when you think about the words of the Siddur, and you say the words of the Siddur, and the words of the Siddur are meaningful to you, who is speaking? It's your soul that's speaking. Your soul is speaking, your neshama is speaking. The siddur is the language of the soul. That's why whenever we pray, we say, heal us, save us, bless us, in the plural. The animal soul is selfish. It wouldn't say, help us, it would say, help me. It wouldn't say, save us, you would say, save me. So the siddur is written in the language of the neshama, language of the soul. So when you're davening, you're supposed to go live in the higher parts of your building. So there's a part of your building which is full of love, which is full of faith, which is full of connection to Hashem. There's a part of your building which is the, which is the basement. So Steinzalt said, what a shame, he said. There are people who could live in the penthouse and they stubbornly stay in the basement where the rats, the filth is. We, we live with the anger and the frustration and the jealousy and the anxiety. We don't have to. We can live, live in the higher parts of ourselves. We don't have to. There's a uh, story about this goat who met this bird. You know what the goat and the bird? The goat meets the bird and the bird is chirping and the goat says to the bird, why are you chirping about? The bird says, look at the beautiful stars. So the goat says, I can't see the beautiful stars. I can't lift my, my head up so, so high to see the stars. So the goat says, let me show you. I'll go like this, go like that. And the goat is, is trying to lift his head up after really exerting itself for a long, long time. The goat finally gets his head up to in position to see the stars. Finally, the goat's looking at the stars and the goat says to the bird, I don't get it. Finally, all these stars. I can't eat any of them. <laughs> In the goat's world, right? All there is 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 what what can I what can I eat? What can I what can I eat? So, the great stars. What, what am I supposed to do with them? He's living in one dimension. 
but it's a possible that we could have a similar experience to the goal and, 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 and not realize what we're doing here. In other words, instead of thinking about that really, really holy spiritual beings that have been sent as aliens from, outer, from, from Gan Eden, from, so to speak, outer space, to this physical world to change it, to impact it, to bring holiness to the world, we could think that our real identity is the physical world, is our real home, we're, we're, we're about the earth, we can make that mistake. So, this is, um, this is the challenge that Hashem placed in front of us, that we're supposed to realize that we could only keep Shabbos, we could only keep kosher, we could only say a bracha as a soul and a body. We could only bring light to other people, make people smile, make people feel love and kindness. It's only possible with, this, with the soul coming into a body. And that's why Hashem made this marriage to the soul and the body. The previous Shabbat famously um, was once interrogated by these two KGB officers. They spoke with cigars in front of him, they wanted to intimidate him. And they asked, do you know why you're here? I don't know why I'm here. And they said to him, we want you to tell us information. And they put out, pull out a pistol and they told the previous Rebbe, this toy is a way of making people speak. So the previous Rebbe famously responded, this toy can only make someone talk if the person has only one world and many gods. But if the person who has one god and two worlds, this toy does not mean a thing. And neither the person or the demon has ever been born or will ever be born that can shake me from my principles. That's what the previous Rebbe said. And, and the, the, um, the KGB officers were, like, were stunned. Because what he said was very profound. He didn't just say that we have two worlds eventually. It's not like we have one world now, and eventually we'll have another world. It's right now we have two worlds. In other words, we have to feel the truth, which is that we have a mission here. We have to feel free. That, that, there is, um, that maybe we're in the physical world, and a lot of things going on, but we are not connected to this world. That's not where our, our home is. Meaning we have a mission to, over here. We're not from here. This is what Avram, this is why Avram was able to overcome all of his challenges. Avram overcame all of his challenges because Avram believed in himself. He believed in his own neshama. He believed in his own mission that Hashem had sent him in. And therefore he was able to overcome all the challenges because he was connected to Hashem. And so too, we're all children of Avram. And we have to look at the wondrous power in us. And if you forget about it, it's very important to be conscious of all the good things you accomplish in your life. That sounds like arrogance, but I think that because of our weak psychological makeup in our generation, it's important to remember the good things you've done, the people's spirits that you've raised, that you've, oh wow, you have an appetizer before the burgers come. <laughs> Brand new soup off the fire. Hadama, <laughs> shahakal. Oh, maybe. What kind of soup is it? Peas, split peas, not beans, peas. No, no beans. Okay, it's very complicated. It's a complicated brach. Okay, good. <laughs> it's good. Very good. Thank you, Kovi. Okay. So it's important, I think, like like to remember the good that you've done in your life. Why? Because remember the good that you've done in your life, then then you realize what you're capable of. If you think about if you if you think about your mistakes and you and you think that you are a person who, who is who is who you identify with your mistakes, it's dangerous because you could do anything because you, you you're not you're not capable of doing more. So it's very important to remember what you've accomplished. So this um, this is the um, um, way that Avon was able to overcome his challenges and the way that we can overcome our own challenges by being conscious of our wondrous power inside us. This is explained something else. Gemara says, in time of Rabbi Chanin ben Tradyan, the Roman government made a decree that no one's allowed to study Torah. He studied Torah, he taught Torah from a Torah school in public and the Talmud says, this is one of the ten people that was killed at the stake that we read um, on Yom Kippur, on Tisha B'Av, 
and they took him and they wrapped his body with the Torah that he was studying. And they also took, um, uh, they, they, they lit a fire and they burned the Torah with him in it. And so his students said to him, Rabbi, what do you see? And he responded, I see that the parchment is burning, but the letters are flying. The letters are purchas, are, are purchas. It's a very interesting exchange, very peculiar exchange. Here, he's being burnt alive, and instead of his students praying for him, crying for him, feeling for him, they say, what do you see? What kind of question is that? What do you see? What does he mean also with his response? The letters are flying. What does it mean? So the answer is this. They're living in a very hard time. They're living in a very confusing time. It wasn't only the tragedy of his death that they were contending with. They were dealing with the future of Judaism. Could Judaism survive the Romans? Does Judaism have a future? Look at what's happening. Their rabbi, their leader, is being burnt alive with the Torah scroll that he's teaching. It's a very, very challenging moment. They're asking him, what do you see? We can't see anything. What do you see? So Rabbi Chim said, I see that the, although the parchment is burning, the letters are, are, are not burning. The letters remain. The holiness of the Torah remains. The eternity of the Jewish people, the eternity of Judaism, the eternity of the Torah, cannot be, is, is unquestionable. There's nothing that can take away from the holiness of the Torah. And that's not just true as for the Jewish people, for the Torah, this is true for each individual Jew. The Talmud says that the reason we are called Yisrael, Yisrael is an acronym for the words, there are 600,000 Jews. Shishim, Rebbe said, there's 600,000 letters in the Torah. Every Jew has a letter in the Torah. Every Jew is associated with one letter in the Torah. The 600,000 that the Talmud mentions are mother souls. But in each of those 600,000 souls, there are other, each of us is connected to one of those souls, and each of us has our own letter in the Torah. So the parchment may burn. The parchment, the physical body of a Jew, can, can, can get uh, killed, but the Torah says that, that there's still a connection there. It's not... The only, only thing that passes away is the body, and we have to realize what the main thing. The main thing is not the body. The main thing is what's inside it. The body is just a garment. The body by itself, we know, is not a thing. Like, imagine... Think about it for a second. Where were you before you were born? Where will you be after you pass away? Like the whole, we can't imagine not being here. We can't imagine dying. We can't imagine, because we're here. We know ourselves. Right? We're, we, we, we're always we're here, aren't, aren't we? Like That's our natural consciousness. I think I'm here. I am. But the truth is that that, that consciousness is a consciousness of the neshama, the soul. The soul is eternal. The, 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 letters, the letters remain. The, the, the per, only a parchment burns. There was a friend of mine who visited this boy in Israel, for Shiva. He lost family members. He lost, among others, he lost his father. And at the Shiva, the boy says the following. The boy says, you know, people tell me, the boy says, my father is with his father in heaven. He's with God. And he's happy. He's in a happy place. He's not suffering. And he's happy, and everything is wonderful there, and it's 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 beautiful. It's a beautiful thing that he has over there. So, the boy says, "But I don't understand. How could he be happy if I'm so sad?" That's what the boy said. So you know, the whole shiva house, a lot of people, everyone's quiet. What, what can answers to think? Then someone said this. It's true. It's true. The father has joy. And the only thing that's making him sad is your sadness. So the boy, amazing boy, the boy said, I understand. 
The boy says, I understand. There is a time to mourn. This is a time to cry. But there is a time when the mourning has to stop. And a time when I have to push away the pain. And I have to not continue the mourning and, and continue on. And to bring and, and to let his neshama feel joy by not, and not tampering with his, not, not hurting his joy with my own sadness. That's the uh, power of, uh, that's, the, that's the power of the letters. The letters are never, can never be extinguished. The, the, the parchment, yeah, but the letters are never extinguished. Um, this is uh, something you see. I'm going to Mr. Shem tomorrow to the International Conference of Chabad Rabbis, Shluchim. You see this in the, in the Shluchim. You see the, the, the letters, the letters of, of the Rebbe's teachings and the Rebbe's words and the Rebbe's presence in every single city in the world all over. You see the, the eternity of the Jewish people and the and the uh, Netzach, the eternal people, also means the victorious people. How there is um, how does the, how the, the Jewish people will be victorious, and that it's uh, it's a real thing. Um, any questions before we before we uh, uh, stop for today? Ah, I'll tell you one more story. Let you go. There was a. Um, um, a man who lost his son, and he visited the Rebbe. And he was very distraught. He couldn't. He came to the Rebbe because he couldn't couldn't come to himself. He didn't, know, he didn't know how to move on. And the Rebbe said to him, "Imagine if your son was in a was in a beautiful place and he was enjoying himself. He didn't. He was just living in a different city. Would you be okay with that?" He said, "Of course." So, what about if your son was in a place that you could send him? You could send him gifts, and he would receive the gifts, and he would enjoy them, and he would see you and enjoy the. He said, I would send them. I would, for sure, I'll be happy to do that. So the said, that's exactly what the story is right now. Your neshama, the neshama of your son is in Gan Eden, and he's listening to you, every Kaddish you say, and every Mitzidun is in his merit. It's, it's there. So the bottom line is, my friends, we have to realize what the reality is. The reality is, is that we're ambassadors of Hashem in this world to accomplish a mission. And the mission is to bring Mashiach. And we're at the last seconds of the exile, the first seconds of Geula, last generation of the exile, first generation of redemption, we got to be strong and not not get get sidetracked by the um, by li- and live in the bottom and in, in the filthy uh, basement. We can't be short like short people's day today. We have to stand tall. Know this: that we belong in the, in the penthouse and, the, and focus on the mission. Not think that we're part of this. We're not part of this. We're we're sent here. We got something to accomplish here. Any questions or comments? No, no questions or comments. <laughs>